Today, we're going to open up God's Word together to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Si habla español, abran sus Biblias al Evangelio según Marcos, capítulo 12, versículos 28 a 34. This is, this is a passage where Mark has begun to slow down his narrative to focus in on Jesus' journey to the cross. And there's something significant, as we should expect, that happens here in Mark. So let's pay close attention. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. Read along with me. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is God's word. Would you join me in a brief word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us an encounter with Jesus Christ this morning that would freshly awaken our faith by your Spirit, that we would see him afresh, that we would know him afresh, that we would love him afresh, that our hearts and minds and soul and strength would be more inclined to love him than when we entered here today? Would we be inclined to love our neighbors as ourselves and to look to Jesus when we do it imperfectly? It's in his name we pray. Amen. We can't miss the tension of this moment. This is Wednesday of Passion Week. Tomorrow's Thursday, when he'll be betrayed and arrested. The next day is Friday, where he'll hang on a cross. He's in, he's in Jerusalem, in the temple, and he has been subjected to wave after wave after wave of confrontation. Members of the Sanhedrin, the three parties of the Sanhedrin, namely the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, have come to him again and again and again, trying to trap him in his words to either, to either condemn him before the Romans or to condemn him before the people. 
And they've devised these traps, but he has masterfully demonstrated his supreme divine authority and answered perfectly in a way that no other person could. Now, all of a sudden, the scribe comes up to him. And if your mind's eye picture of what a scribe is, is, is a lowly servant who writes things down, that's not, what, that's not what a scribe is. A scribe in Jerusalem was one of the highest religious offices in the land. They were the interpreters of the law. They had high ranking. And this scribe comes to him with a question about the law. And it's a very difficult question. But listen, this this guy's different. For the first time, it's not a group coming up to him. It's one man. And for the first time, this doesn't seem to be a trick. This actually seems like a sincere, a sincere question coming from a sincere heart. And verse 28, look, at that, look down at, at it with me. It seems he was impressed that Jesus had answered his previous opponents well. And so we ask sincerely, but, but he asks a question that is still incredibly difficult. Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answers him with authority. What his answer is, we'll, we'll get to in a moment. But what I want to direct our attention to at this moment is, is the scribe's reply to Jesus' answer. Verse 33, the scribe affirms Jesus. He says, you are right, teacher. He commends Jesus. He says, you have spoken truly. And Mark intends us to feel something at this moment. He intends us to, to, to feel a little bit of excitement to go, has, has this opponent just turned into a disciple? Has this man just become a convert? Did, did, did a member of the Sanhedrin all of a sudden become a follower of Jesus? But verse 34 When Jesus saw that he answered him wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far. My friend, you are near, but you are not in. Several years ago, I think this was back in 2014 or 2015, the newest Mission Impossible movie came out. It was Mission Impossible 5, and I was pumped to see it. So uh, on Saturday that it, that it came out to rent, my wife and I, we drove down to the nearest Red Box. You remember those? And I'm scrolling through the movies looking for Mission Impossible 5, and I, and I don't see it. I don't see it. All of a sudden, there it is. In, in big, bold letters on the movie cover, it says MI5. And, and there's the, the, the main character in an action shot, you know, like this, and he's got an explosion behind him. So so I rent the movie, we go home, and we're, we're watching it. My, my wife, she's not really watching it. She's not all that interested, but I'm kind of watching it with her sitting next to me. And it has all the elements of Mission Impossible. It's a spy movie. It's, it's, you know, there's espionage and, and action and, and explosions. But about an hour in, I'm thinking to myself, I, you know, I sure would have expected Tom Cruise to have been in the movie by now. And I turned to Kelsey, I was like, hey, what what's going on with this movie? And she, she all of a sudden perks up, she looks on her phone, and she starts to research, and it takes her five seconds before, before she turns to me, and she says, Kyle, this isn't the right movie. This isn't the right movie. 
And I've been watching some other movie for an hour long. Apparently, and this is crazy, apparently there was a British production company that released a movie called MI5 at like the exact same time as Mission Impossible 5. And I mean, I was somewhat upset. But here's the thing. I was near the right movie. (laughs) I was near the right movie. But I wasn't in. I wasn't in the story I intended to be in. I was watching a movie that had similar elements. It, 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 it persuaded me enough to believe I was in the right movie for, for a while, but I wasn't in. Being near is not the same as being in. And I want to get your attention right now. Are, are you maybe not far, but not in? Your kids, somebody you know, a neighbor. Do you know somebody who's not far, but maybe not in? And maybe you're saying, I don't know. How can I know if somebody is not far, but not in? How can I know if I'm not far, but not in? And I believe that God wants to to meet you and to help you today, to show you why the scribe was was not far, but also to show you why the scribe was not in. So we'll have two points this afternoon. Why he was not far, number one, and number two, why he was not in. Why he was not far, why he was not in. Jump into the first one here. So talk about a cliffhanger, right? The, the, the scribe asks this huge question. We haven't even touched it yet. Which commandment is the greatest one of all? In the Torah, the Jewish Old Testament, it had 613 commands. So it was actually somewhat customary for for people to ask uh, reputed rabbis to summarize the law or or to to tell them what the most important commandment of all was. But I want you to know, don't miss this, this guy asking the question, he was a reputed teacher. He was the kind of guy that people would ask this question, but he comes up to Jesus and asks these question, this question. And he says, Jesus, which command supersedes all others? Which command should direct how any person lives his or her life in this world? What a question. Don't you want to know the answer? Look at verses 29 through 31. Jesus' answer, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. See, Jesus gives two commands. Drawing from Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, and Leviticus 19, 18, he combines two commandments into one unified central commandment. Uh, Commentator James Edwards says, nobody has ever regarded the love of God and neighbor together as the center of the law. And this is worth pausing for a moment to identify that Mark again and again, he recounts Jesus' demonstrations of of his supreme divine authority. And this is one such instance where Jesus takes it upon himself, Jesus being the lawgiver himself, being the embodiment of the law, 
to interpret the law, not differently, but better than anybody ever had. So look at verse 30, the first part of it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Pay attention to the, the alls in verse 30. Those are very, very important. There's a reason that it's repeated four times. This command, it's not so much about the, the difference and the, the distinction between heart and soul and mind and strength. Jesus isn't dividing between the different parts of a, of a person and saying, well, you should love him with your heart this way, with your soul this way, with your mind this way, with your strength this way. No, what he's saying, what he's drawing attention to is the necessity of a total response of love to the lordship of God. There is no part of you that is accepted from this command. Nothing of you is left out of this command. Nothing. Every molecule, every molecule of yourself and every ounce of your inward being should be devoted in every moment of your life to the one true God in wholly devoted love. That's what this is saying. And again, to the, to the surprise of the scribe, Jesus goes the extra mile and he adds a second command from Leviticus 19.18. And he says the second. You weren't asking, but the second. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, in Luke 10, Jesus had redefined for the Jewish people who their neighbor was. Jews believed that their neighbor were was the person who was like them, the person they were most likely to interact with, their fellow Jew, not, not the Gentiles, not the Greeks, certainly not the Sumerians. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Your neighbor is whomever you come across in your life, period, full stop. And he's saying here that that neighbor, loving that neighbor, is part of the most important command in all the law. And not only should you love that neighbor, not only should you love that whomever, <laughs> how much are you to love that neighbor? As yourself. Let that sink in for a moment. Some have suggested that this is a third command here. That Jesus is saying, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor and love yourself. This is not a third command. This is not a command to grow in a love for neighbor and self. One pastor humorously remarks that there is a reason why some of the most best-selling magazines for decades have names such as People and Us and Self. We have no problem loving self. The promotion of self-love as an ideal is not biblical. And, and, and that's Jesus' point here. 
Jesus' point is, you, you take care of yourself better than you take care of anybody else. You, your hygiene, your priorities, your schedule, your diet, your exercise, your preferences, you pay attention to those things in yourself more than you pay attention to those in other people. And that's true of every single person. He says, the way that you love yourself, let that be the standard for how you love your neighbor. (laughs) This is a high calling. Love your neighbor like that. Listen, these two commands, love God and love neighbor, these go hand in hand. They're not separate or exclusive of one another. James Edwards, again, comments, love of neighbor is the chief means of loving God. Likewise, love of God expresses itself in loving neighbor. And before we move on, let, let me give just a couple quick points of, of application here. And we could, we could do days of application on this right here. But we're going to limit it to just a couple points. So two things. One, exercise an active, tangible love of God. Exercise an active, tangible love of God. What does it look like to love God? Ask yourself that right now. What does it look like for you to love God? And no doubt, in your mind, you're you're coming up with things like reading your Bible, singing songs of praise to Him, cultivating a healthy and active prayer life. And and I would affirm you, and I think God's word would affirm you very clearly and heartily, yes, that is how you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But if you are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then all of life comes into play. Author Joe Rigney very helpfully summarizes verses 29 through 31, and he says, love for neighbor is what what, what love for God looks like when it meets neighbors. What does loving God look like when it meets a neighbor? Loving them. Rigney expands on this idea. He says, and I believe this principle can be extended beyond neighbors to every other good thing that God provides. What does full and supreme love for God look like when it meets one of his gifts? Glad reception of and enjoyment of his gifts. Grateful enjoyment of fish tacos is what supreme love for God looks like when it eats fish tacos. Delight in people and love for people is what supreme and full love for God looks like when it meets people. When love for God meets your job, it looks like doing it with with joy and as unto Him. What does love for God look like when it meets your kids and with your wife and with your friends? What does it look like when it meets your dinner tonight? What does it look like when it meets your actual neighbor next door to your house or your apartment. It means loving that neighbor. It means receiving God's gifts with thankfulness and joy and delight in the giver of those gifts. Practice an active love for God. Be careful not to over-spiritualize and limit what love for God looks like. Love him by loving others and living joyfully and contentedly in the life he's given you. Secondly, secondly, and I'm going to relate a little personal experience here. Secondly, let loving your neighbor be your highest ethic. 
Let loving your neighbor be your highest ethic. Is what I mean by that. I remember in the middle of 2020, feeling incredibly unsettled. Not because of the pandemic, but because we had moved into a multi-ethnic neighborhood for the good of that neighborhood, to love them as our neighbors and become friends with them. But what was being screamed from the rooftops about what you should be doing to make the world a better place was you need to be an ally, you need to show where you stand on your social media profiles, and then you need to fight for legislative change. And here's what I kept thinking. Wait, what about actually loving your neighbor? What about actually loving your neighbor and then loving them as yourself? If I move in Christ-like love toward the people that God has put in my path, no matter what color or ethnicity or income level they are, there is simply no better I can do for them. There is no higher ethic. There is no better I can do for them than to actively love them like Christ loved me. To love them as myself. In Santa Ana, we just finished a four-week series on evangelism, a focus on loving our Santa Ana neighbors. Loving our Santa Ana neighbors is not just a focus that the pastoral team in Santa Ana has chosen to take. It is part of the most important commandment of all. Loving your Pasadena neighbors is part of the most important commandment of all for each one of you. And listen, being an an ally, yelling your virtues to the online community, in reality, here's the thing, you can do that without actually loving a single person. Loving your neighbor as yourself, that's hard work. It's sacrificial work. It is truly unifying, truly fruitful work. If we want to create change for good in our neighborhoods, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Whoever they are. And imagine if we as churches did that in an increasing way every passing week. At the very least, our our neighbors would become familiar with the, the love of Jesus. At best, we'd see lives transformed and dramatically transformed by the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, look back at verses 32 and 33. And the scribe said to Jesus, you are right, teacher, You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. See, he understood that loving neighbor is the highest ethic. And the the scribe sees the wisdom in Jesus' answer. He, He agrees that that loving neighbor is better than an overly spiritualized system of sacrifices. And Jesus says, he says you're not far. Why is he not far? Because he understands the heart of the law. That's why he's close. 
He understands the heart of the law, and he agrees this is the highest ethic. He agrees with what is truly good and right morality. He's actually listening to Jesus. That's why he's near. But he wasn't yet in. The second point, why he was not in. Love God and love others. I think that's the mission statement of probably 5,000 churches. You see it on church websites all over the place. We're about loving God and loving others, and it's fantastic, and it sounds great, and it is. This is the greatest commandment. But remember how I told you earlier how important the alls are in that command? Love God and love neighbor, it seems so simple until you really, until you really read what Jesus says here. All of you, all the time, all ultimately toward God alone, without exception. And then the second commandment, don't just love your neighbors, love your neighbors as yourself. This is not a principle to be generally followed if and when it is convenient for you. These are commands. The all is binding. The as yourself is always required. The, the ominous implication of Jesus' answer is that the most important command is an impossible standard. It is an impossible standard. The moment I love something more than God with any part of me, I have failed to obey the greatest command. The moment I fail to love my neighbor less than myself, I've failed to obey the greatest commandment. Listen, the scribe, he knew the right things and he wanted to do the right things. But you cannot enter the kingdom of God by knowing the right things. You cannot enter the kingdom of God by wanting to do the right things. Again, think about that. You cannot enter the kingdom of God by knowing the right things, and you cannot enter the kingdom of God by wanting to do the right things. It's like watching MI5 and expecting that you'll somehow end up in Mission Impossible. You're never going to get there. You've actually got to change the whole system, find a different solution, put a different movie in. The scribe wasn't in. He, he wasn't far. But let me ask you this. How far was he from the kingdom of God? He was about three feet away. Because the kingdom of God embodied in a person was standing in front of him in the person of Jesus Christ. James Edwards says, Jesus determined who was on the threshold of the kingdom of God, which is present not in the Torah, but in Jesus himself. The scribe was under the false impression that entrance to the kingdom of God came through the law by following it, but it's impossible. Entrance into the kingdom of God comes only through the only one who has ever perfectly obeyed 
the greatest commandment, and that's Jesus himself. Friends, at the, at the end of this passage, the, the shadow of the cross looms just a little bit larger. And it continues to loom larger as you progress along in the gospel of Mark. But as you get to the end of verse 34, look down there with me, the shadow of the cross looms even larger. Look, look at what it says. It says, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. That means they gave up. They gave up on plan A. Plan B was now in place. And plan B was to flat out lie and to betray him. And that plan was now in motion. As of verse 34, Jesus knew full well where he was going. He was the embodiment of the kingdom of God and he was going toward a cross. And on that cross, he would perfectly express his love for the Father by submitting to his plan for the redemption of the world through his death. And on that cross was a display of love for neighbor like has never been seen before and never will be seen again. As he loved every person who expresses faith in him better than himself, better than his own life, laying down his life for the salvation of your life. And this cross would prove to be the doorway into the kingdom of God. Because on that cross, he applied his perfect obedience to the greatest commandment to any who would believe in him. Listen, here's the point. Here's the point. Whether near or far, whether near or far, the only way you get in the kingdom of God is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the point of this story right here. Yeah, it's about the greatest commandment. And we can draw a lot of application from that. But, but the reason that Mark recounts this encounter with this scribe is to show that this scribe, who seems very positioned to listen to Jesus, who agrees with Jesus, who says, yes, Jesus, I'm on board with you. I think you are right. Agreement with him and a desire to follow the, the law that Jesus had identified was enough. It just got him not far, but not in. Listen, did the, did the scribe ever enter the kingdom? I don't know. I hope so. I hope we get to meet him one day. I hope we get to meet him one day. But no matter what else he did, apart from actually finally believing in Jesus, he was as near at that moment as he would ever be to the kingdom. And here's where I want to just address certain people in this room. I talked at the very beginning of the sermon about those who are near but not in. A lot of time, that's, that's youth. You've grown up in a, in a Christian home. You've been, you've been near the church. You've been near God's word. You've been near Christian stuff for a long time. But you've yet to personally express your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. 
Maybe you've been visiting this church for, for a while, and you've been near the church, and, and you, you agree with, with a lot of what's being said from up here. You're listening to Jesus, but unless you've actually believed in him, you're still just circling around. You're near. You're not far, but you're not in. And whoever that might be, know that this is good news. <laughs> this is good news because you are near. When you hear the message of Jesus Christ, you are very near. All you've got to do to get in is to believe in him, to repent of your sins and to believe in him for your salvation, to confess him as Lord, and you're in. If you know somebody, maybe parents, maybe it's your kids, Maybe you've wondered, gosh, I know they're near. I know they know the right stuff. They're leaning in. They're listening. But are they in? Well, have that conversation. Have them sit down with, with one of the pastors, with Ron or, or Bill or Tim, and have them have that conversation about where their faith for their eternity lies. It's important to know it's, it's, it's not enough to just be near. The, the, the movie covers of life in the kingdom and life near the kingdom, they look pretty similar on the outside. They look pretty similar on the outside. But what's underneath that are two completely different stories. There's one key difference. Jesus is the very center of one of them. If you think your nearness to the kingdom will get you in, you're wrong. You may agree with this theology. You may be intently listening to Jesus, but today is the day to make a decision and orient your life toward him in faith. And for those of you who have done that, it's only because of, of his grace extended to you through faith that you are able now to obey the greatest commandment. It's only because he obeyed that you have the freedom to obey. That you have the freedom to operate with love for neighbor as your highest ethic. You have the freedom to live your life in love toward God. So let's go out and do that. Because whether near or far, the only way you get in the kingdom of God is by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending him. Thank you for giving us your law, but not only giving us your law. Thank you for showing us how insufficient your law is to save because of our inability to keep it. Thank you that you've given us more than just knowing the right things and a desire to do the right things. Thank you for giving us the one who is the embodiment of the law and who always did what is pleasing to you. Thank you that by grace through faith he applied his perfect standard of righteousness to all who believe. And thank you for making this a church where that message is consistently proclaimed and celebrated. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.